Amen. Thanks, Ev. Good morning, Grace Hill. Good to see all of you. My name's Alan, as Evan said, one of the pastors here. So if you're new here, we haven't met, would love to be able to meet after uh, the service. Um, I want to begin this morning with a bit of a thought exercise. I want you to imagine someone in your life that you love so much that you would die for them. This, so just, just someone that you have that much affection, care for them, that you're like, no question, I would give my life for that person. So this could be a child of yours, this could be a spouse, it could be a family member, a really, really close friend. Maybe you have multiple of these people in your life, but you have so much love, care, affection that you're, uh, I would do anything for them. Now think of that person, and then I want you to imagine having a relationship with them where you said, okay, here is a list of things that I need you to be disciplined about doing. All right, here, here's the whole list. There's, there's, you know, 10 things on there, 20 things on there. I need you to do all of these things. And if you do these things, then we'll be good. I'll be close to you, I'll be nice to you, I will actually want to be around you. Um, but if you don't do these things, if you're not disciplined, um, if you're not consistent, then I'm not gonna wanna be around you anymore. I'm actually gonna distance myself from you, I'm gonna act cold towards you, I'm gonna be annoyed and frustrated with you if you don't do all these things. So I want you to imagine the person that you put into that slot of like, I love this person so much I would die for them. All right, so maybe that's your child. Like for me, okay, I'm thinking about my wife. I think about my kids. Like in a heartbeat, I would die for them and go, okay, uh, like Leland is my son. Okay, Leland. But if you don't do these things, then I don't even want to see you today. If that was the way that I related with my son, and of course, you imagine, you do that little thought exercise, and you're like, that's ridiculous. Like, of course, I'm not going to relate with my child or my spouse in that way. I mean, there are times we can kind of revert into that, of course. But when we think about it, when we think about it, we're not thinking to ourselves, oh, yeah, this relationship, that, that this person that I say I'm willing to die for, I'm going to give them a list of rules that are going to dictate my relationship with them. That seems ridiculous. And actually, we even know scientifically that this is bad. Right? Like if you were to raise your child under that system, we now know that they will become people who have a hard time with relationships for the rest of their life. We've, we've proven that because that's just not how humanity works. And it's not how God created us. You know, God is the kind of author of relationship. You know, he's the one who thought of it and designed it. That's not how he designed it to work. So of course it doesn't work that way. And my question for the morning is this. And I want all of us just to think hard about this. If that's true, if that really is ridiculous, if relationships do not work that way, then why do we default to relating with God in that way? Like, why is that our default? 
that, okay, there's a God. And if, if there is a God, like maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not sure if I believe in God or not. Okay, so if there is a God, why do we assume that the way to relate with him is he's going to give us some sort of list of rules, maybe a law, uh, some sort of religious program, and we got to follow that if we want him to be happy with us. Like, it's fascinating. Most religions in the world, that's their program. That's their philosophy. That's, that's how they operate. And most, I would argue, Christians in the world, just like all the other religions, operate in the exact same way. And to be honest with you, I, I think the reason is because we all know that there's something wrong in the world. Something's broken. Things are hard. Like, they, like life is hard. We all know that. And so we're all trying to figure out, how do I make sense of this? How do I grab control of this? Uh, what sort of program can I follow that would maybe give me a pathway out of this? And so it's really easy to kind of default down to a kind of relationship or religion that would say, here's the list, do them, we're good, don't do it, or you fail at doing it, or you're not disciplined or consistent in it, we're not good. That's simple. We can grab that. We're not good at doing it, but we, we can grab a hold of that. Now, last week, we started a new series here called What is the Bible About? It's just a six-week series, cover to cover, in the Bible, asking the question really high level, what is this book about? And so we started, obviously, back in Genesis 1. We kind of covered very high level. We didn't cover everything. Uh, Genesis 1 to 11 last week, where we read about God's creation of us. And we read about this reality that God created us to be in relationship with him, that he loved us, cared for us, provided for us, and we just trust him. And that, that's the relationship. We, we trust in him because he's good and he knows what's best for us. But when we get into Genesis 3, we see that humanity decided to not trust God. Right? We said, no, God, I don't, I don't want to trust you. I want to be equal with you. I don't want you to give me what is true and right or good or whatever. I, I want to make those decisions on my own. And so what happened is this chasm happened between us and God because we decided to no longer trust God, not trust that he's good, not trust his word anymore. And so this week, we're going to kind of continue in our scriptures and again, very high level cover Exodus through Deuteronomy, although we're not going to read anything from those books. You're like, wow, that's, you'll, you'll understand in a second. We're going to talk about the law. Because if you keep reading in your Bible, you go into Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God gives this group of people called Israel a law. And so we're going to ask the question, okay, well, why does God do that? If relationship doesn't work where we say, hey, here's the law, follow it, then we're good. If that's not how relationship works, why does God give people a law? So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, hey, that's a great question. I kind of wrestle with that. I hope this is helpful for you. And if you're not sure what you believe this morning, I hope that this helps you grasp 
what the story is that the Bible is telling. Because it's really easy to like pick and choose verses in the Bible, parts of the Bible that are kind of scandalous, that might hurt your conscience a little bit and go, see, I don't know if I can believe that. But one of the things that we have to realize about the Bible is that this is a story that unfolds cover to cover, which is why we're doing this series. And I want you to understand what that story is. And so, of course, we're going to look a little bit uh, as we go kind of cover to cover in Scripture, but we're always going to kind of go to the end of the Bible every single time so we kind of see how this story unfolds. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. And that's this. Point for today is this. Our relationship with God is not based on law, and it never has been. I know there's a law in the scripture. That's what we're going to talk about. But our relationship with God is not based on law, and it never has been. Let me say it this way, especially for those of you who maybe are a little more unfamiliar with the Bible, if you haven't read it before. Our relationship with God is not based on morality. And it never has been. Our relationship with God has always been his love for us, our trust in him. His love for us, our trust in him. So let me show it to you in the scriptures. Now, here's the thing. Uh, If you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. And then I also want you to put a finger in Galatians chapter 3. Okay, so Genesis 12, very first book of the Bible. Okay, big numbers are the chapters, little numbers are the verses. So go to Genesis chapter 12. And then Galatians, other side of the Bible towards the end. It's a smaller book towards the end in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to bounce around like crazy through that book, through that uh, chapter, Galatians 3. So kind of follow along on the screen, have your Bible open, make sure I'm saying what the Bible says. And we're going to study this together. This will be a little more of a study session together as we understand why does God put a law in the Scriptures. Let's start in Genesis chapter 12. So last week, we kind of did Genesis 1 to 11, and we read about God's creation. We read about the fall. We don't trust God anymore. There's this chasm between us and God. And so Genesis 12 is going to open up and start talking about a guy named Abram, who will eventually be renamed to Abraham. And this guy, Abram, uh, you have to understand, at this point in history, there's no such thing as Israel. There's no such thing as uh, Judaism or Jews, all right? They, they didn't exist yet. Abram's the first. He's the first one, okay? So Genesis 12, starting in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. says this. By the way, I'm, I'm preaching out of the New Living Translation uh, this morning. Uh, I just think the verses we're reading, it, it's more clear. Uh, starting in verse 1, it says this. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country 
your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Obviously, that's going to become Israel. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Look at verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I want you to focus on the end there of verse 3. Just for a few minutes, I want you to see this. It says this, the end of verse 3, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, that word families in uh, the Hebrew can really be translated the nations, all the nations of the earth, everybody on earth, all right, all the different ethnicities on earth, all of them are going to be blessed through you, Abram, and then the nation that Abraham will become. So you have to understand that if we want to think about uh, uh, this blessing from God and maybe define blessing as us having a right relationship with God, like there was a chasm between us and God that happened at the fall, and the blessing is this reality that that chasm is now reconciled, where we're now good with God, right with God. God is saying that that blessing is going to go through Abraham and somehow to all nations. Genesis 12, 3. That salvation, being saved, being right with God, eternal life, all those things, like all those words we use, just kind of put that under this blessing from God is going to flow through Abraham and somehow to all of the nations. It's what we just read. God's plan is to spread that through Abraham somehow. Listen, not through a law. So the reason why I'm having you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, because I want you to know that God has a plan to redeem us. It's from the beginning. Actually, we read of it first last week in Genesis 3. And it's not the law. Remember Genesis 3.15, if we could put that up there? This is right after the fall, and God is talking to the serpent, right, that deceived Adam and Eve. And he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. Okay, so your descendants. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And in other words, the, what the Hebrew is helping us to understand is somehow this descendant of Eve is going to crush the head of the serpent. And scholars call this the first proclamation of the gospel. All right, we'll now go to Genesis 12, 3 again. What we're learning now is this kind of blessing from God, this fixing of the fall is going to flow through Abraham now, who's a descendant of Eve, to all nations. And I want you to see these verses to show you that God has declared at the very beginning of your Bible, before a law was ever established, that there is a plan in place for people to be saved, for people to be made right with God. It's not through a law. We can be certain, all right, I am interpreting Genesis 12 accurately, right? Not because I'm smart, because Paul does it for us in Galatians 3, Okay, so that's why I want you to go to Galatians 3. Other side of your Bible. 
Galatians 3 is a commentary on Genesis 12.3. Paul quotes Genesis 12.3 in Galatians 3. So if you're new to the Bible, uh, Galatians is a letter that this man named Paul, who's a leader in the church, wrote to a church in the city of Galatia, which is why it's called Galatians. This is just a letter. And what Paul is doing is explaining this very thing to them. So everything I'm trying to explain to you, Paul was trying to explain that, which is why we're just going to see what he said. Okay? That will be the best way to go. So go to Galatians chapter 3, and I want you to see verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. Like I said, I'm going to bounce around this chapter a lot today. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, What's more, the Scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles... Right in his sight. So let me stop there. Um, uh, the Greek word for Gentiles there is the word ethnos, which is just basically nations. And so remember, Paul's writing to people who have a Jewish background. So the word Gentile for them means everybody who's not a Jew. You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles, everyone who's not a Jew. So you could just put into that place of Gentile the nations. Uh, all the ethnicities of the world, okay? Because it's that Greek word, ethnos. So, verse 8, what's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make all of the nations right in his sight because of their faith, because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, quote Genesis 12, 3, all nations will be blessed through you. Okay? So what we see here, Paul's quoting Genesis 12, 3, and he's saying, yes, the way that we're made right with God is somehow that blessing that flows through Abraham. Jump over to verse 16. Paul says in verse 16, if I can find verse 16, there it is. God gave the promises to Abraham... And his child, and notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, singular. And that, of course, means Christ. Okay. So, what we're reading is this blessing from God's going to go to Abraham. And kind of through Abraham's descendants, he's going to become this great nation. Well, one person's going to come out of that great nation. That's going to be Jesus. And Paul is telling us... Okay, this flow of blessing is going to go through Abraham, through the nation of Israel, but through Jesus. Jesus is the one through which this blessing now goes to all nations. Paul is saying that the child of Abraham here is Jesus. That all who put their faith in Jesus become a part of this blessing that he's going to bring to the world through Abraham. Clear as day, verse 29, and now that you belong to Christ. Like if you trust in Christ, you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I mean, just, just clear as day. It's right there. 
the way we're made right with God, not through a law, but it is through somehow being a part of this blessing that comes through Abraham, ultimately through Christ. This has always been God's plan. It's not a law. It's always been what God was going to do. He was going to bring this blessing through Jesus, not through a law. And that just begs a really simple, needed, necessary question. And that's, then why does he give a law? Right? That's, that's the big question. Why does he give a law? Last Friday, January 12th, was the 14th year anniversary of the big earthquake that hit Haiti in 2010. And uh, that particular event in history uh, is, means a lot to me because so at that time I was a college pastor and I oversaw a ministry over at George Mason University. And I had sent, just two days before that, I had sent a team of George Mason students to Haiti for a short-term mission trip. We had a partnership in Haiti. I had been many times prior to that. This was the first time that I sent a team and I didn't go. And they were on the ground when that earthquake hit. In fact, they were in the city of Petiguave, which is where basically the epicenter of this quake was. So they were right in the middle of it. Fortunately, uh, they were on a soccer field when the quake hit. And so they talk about how it bounced them around like a piece of popcorn, but fortunately no one on our team was hurt. But uh, the houses that they were staying in were destroyed. Um, the compound they were staying in to keep them safe was destroyed. Um, and all of the roads were knocked out. Communications were knocked out. We didn't, get a, have an, we didn't really make contact with them to make sure they were okay for a couple of days, which was just the most stressful two days of my life, um, trying to make contact with them. Took us about two weeks to get them off uh, uh, that island, um, and that was a big story within itself for another day. But I'll never forget, I flew down to Fort Pierce, Florida. There's a little airstrip there. We chartered a plane to get them out eventually, um, and so we were able to get them home, and so they were landing at this little airstrip in Fort Pierce, Florida, so I flew down to go get them, pick them up at that airstrip. We spent the night at a hotel and then got some flights home the next day. And I remember sitting in the hotel room with them that night after they landed and just debriefing. Like, hey, like, let's talk about what you just went through. And one of the, I mean, there was a lot that came from that conversation, but one of the things that was so apparent, that was so striking to them going through this was the fact that, you know, this was a short-term mission team of college students uh, from Northern Virginia, going to this hemisphere's poorest country. And we were serving a little slum in the town of Pettiguav called Persin, and our partnership was there. And what they talked about was how, well, when the earthquake hit, it knocked everything out, like all the buildings were gone, like everything. No one had anything. And all of a sudden, they ended up staying with these people in this little slum of Persin. And they slept out, they all had to sleep outside, so they slept outside together, they shared food, they shared shelter, they were helping each other with water and cleaning. And all of a sudden, what happened was, you had these kind of, you know, 
richer than poor Haitians, college students from America coming down and they're staying in this nice safe compound and they're here to provide relief work and to, and to do different things in this little slum. Well, all of a sudden, all those dividing lines went away. Everything. It didn't matter how much money you had. It didn't matter, like their cell phones didn't work anymore. They didn't have shelter to go to. There was no roads to drive on. They were all of a sudden sleeping in the same place, eating the same food, drinking the same water, holding each other as dozens and dozens and dozens of aftershocks came for two weeks. It was amazing how what that earthquake did is it completely made, in that instant, everybody the same. Everybody was the same. Didn't matter where you came from. Didn't matter your education level. You were the same. And that is the exact purpose of the law. Right there. That's the exact purpose of the law. What the law does is it puts every single person on the same level before God. You have the same need before God. God. I don't care if you curse like a sailor or you have the best mouth ever, you have the same need before God. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how you act. I don't care how you behave. The law imprisons everything under sin. That's what Paul says. Go to Galatians 3, look at verse 19. Paul says this in verse 19, why then was the law given? He's asking the same question we're asking today. It was given alongside the promise, this promise to Abraham. It was given alongside of that to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. That's Jesus. Jump down to verse 21. Is there a conflict then? between God's law and God's promise? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, right? if we could be made right with God through the law, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So the law makes us all the same. None of us can keep it. None of us can. None of us can live a righteous, righteous enough life to reverse the fall. None of us can do, you know, have relationship with other people that are perfectly healthy. None of us can live our lives in ways that are perfectly righteous. None of us can do it. I don't care what you look like. I don't care your pedigree. I don't care the kind of home that you grew up in. I don't care if you have Bible verses memorized or not. None of us can be righteous enough to reverse the fall. The law shows us that so that we will eventually come to the place of going, huh, Jesus, the only way that this gets reversed is if you do it and I trust you to do it. The law is a diagnostic, not a cure. Now listen, I, I don't know who's in the room 
So I don't know if maybe there's people here not sure if they believe in Jesus or not, but I'm sure you have experience with Christians. The law is a diagnostic, not a cure. I know a lot of Christians live their life as if the law is the cure. But that's not what the Bible's about. The law is a diagnostic, not a cure. The law shows us that we're not able to do this on our own. Not enough good deeds, not enough spiritual works, not enough church attendance, not enough Bible knowledge. We can't, it won't work. It shows us that we need a savior. So think of it like this, right? If, if you want to retain control in your life by only trusting in yourself and saying, okay, actually what I would like is a law. That'd be great. I'd like a list of things to follow. And therefore I can make sure that I'm in control, that I follow that. And therefore God, you're obligated to give me everything that you're supposed to give me if I follow all this. If you want to regain control in your life, that's fine. But one of the things the scriptures say is that if you want to approach God that way, then you must follow the law perfectly, never ever failing, or it's all lost. Or we could let go of that control and we say, yeah, I can't do that. (laughs) I'm I'm not able to. Jesus, I gotta trust you that you are going to do something. You can entrust your life to God, kind of like that relationship in the beginning of Genesis where he created us, where he loves and cares and provides for us and we trust him. That's the relationship God wants with you. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, He says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law for you on your behalf, right? The blessing of God flows through Abraham, through the Jews, to this child Jesus who fulfills the law on our behalf and then offers his own life on the cross for our sins. Go to Galatians 3 again, verse 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, the nations with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. That's what the Bible is about. I mean, you get to find that the whole scripture is telling that very story. Jesus not only procures forgiveness for us through going to the cross, but he also accomplishes righteousness for us by fulfilling the law. That's always been God's plan since the very beginning, since the moment of the fall. This is what God had in mind. Not a law. But I just wonder how many of us in the room relate with God through law. Just how many of us here, whether you've been following Jesus for, genera- or for, for decades or you've been, you know, you're not even sure if you, what you believe about Jesus today, you still might relate with God through a law. It may not be the Old Testament law, but it could be a law. Maybe you grew up in a church and you heard a lot of law being preached. 
If you want God to be happy with you, you'll do these things. Or maybe you saw a lot of law demonstrated to you where you were shunned in church if you didn't do certain things. And then you were accepted in church if you did certain things. Maybe you had a relationship with your parents that preached law to you. Maybe they were the ones who said, yeah, do these things, then we're good. We can have a healthy relationship. But if you don't do these things, I don't wanna see you. I don't wanna talk to you. We live in a nation that has Christian doctrine kind of wrapped all around our culture. And sometimes that can be a good thing, but sometimes that can be a really bad thing because what it will show non-Christians most of the time is that if you wanna be right with God, well, then you better be good at keeping some sort of law. Like, to be honest with you, This is why, and it's frustrating to me, this is why so much of our Christian witness in this country, especially when we want to talk politics, is imposing law on people and not gospel. And let me tell you what, we're not imposing Bible. And I know there are people who say, no, I preach the Bible only. Well, you know what? You're being a jerk to people who don't know Jesus because you're essentially preaching to them that if you want to be right with God, if you want to have healthy relationship, if you want to feel the freedom that the gospel brings, then you better follow the law. And we push morality on our neighbors and not what the Bible says. Did the Bible tell us that we must be moral people to be saved? That's the opposite of the message of this book. And I know that's scandalous. I know immediately we go, okay, well, hold on. Aren't we supposed to live a certain way? Listen, God wants us to trust him because he loves us and he's after our good and he wants to provide and care for us. So of course, God then says, hey, here's how I want you to live because I love you and I know what's best for you. That's not the condition of our relationship with him. Just like my child, if they disobey me, I don't banish them from the house. They live in my house, I love them, I would still die for them every single day. Do I give them guidance and direction? Yes, because I love them and I care for them. And I'm just curious, how much has the church preached to our culture the exact opposite message? How many of us need to let go of the law. I want to know, like, who of us in this room this morning? Who of us in this room? Like, we just need to let go of the law. We need to let go of this belief that might be really firmly entrenched that God only relates to us through a law. God only relates to us through our behavior. God only relates to us through our morality. Because if that's the way you relate with God, I promise, your relationship with God probably looks like a game of ping pong where you're going back and forth going, okay, God's good with me. Okay, God hates me. Okay, God's good with me. Okay, he hates me. He's good with me. He hates me. And it all rides on your ability to keep some law that you have in your head or your heart. And that's never been God's plan. That's not how love works. From the beginning, God has said, I'm gonna come after you and I'm gonna save you and I'm gonna provide a way from you that's apart from your works and I'm gonna show you that I'm trustworthy. 
I'm gonna show you that you can follow me and I'm gonna be after your good and I'm gonna provide. And yes, am I going to guide and direct you in ways you probably don't wanna go sometimes? Am I gonna say no to some things for you that you would rather me say yes? Or am I gonna say yes to some things for you that you would rather me say no? Of course, that's what's gonna happen. Because he loves us and we trust him. That's the nature of the relationship. He provides, he cares, we trust. But he never said, this is all dependent on law, ever. That's not the message of the Bible. And so I have uh, uh, three questions that I wanna ask real quick. Just, just kind of some reflection questions for you. Because if you're wondering, huh, is, is my relationship with the Lord based on law? I think these three questions might help you discern if, if that's the case. Three questions. First one is this. Do you, do you feel distant from God when you struggle? Maybe you have a sin struggle, something going on in your life that you know is not good, you don't like it. It's a struggle. We all have them. Does that make you feel distant from God? As if God is saying, I don't want to be near you right now. That's not what the Bible's about. That's not who God is. Do you assume your past has disqualified you from a joyful faith? I don't know what your past is. Maybe some things have happened that you feel some regret, you feel some shame over. And maybe you're willing to buy into this fact that, yeah, there's forgiveness at the cross. But because of the things I've done, I can't really experience a joyful, vibrant, strong faith that I see other people experience. Do you feel like you kind of need to still pay the past off? Because that's not what the Bible's about. It's not who God is. Last one, does having a strong faith, a vibrant faith, a joyful faith, does that seem unattainable to you? Kind of that feeling of, I, I, man, I'm not strong enough to make that happen. I'm not disciplined enough to make that happen. I'm not consistent enough to make that happen. I got too many vices. See, that's not what the Bible's about. The Bible doesn't say that that is something that you obtain. The whole thing is about how God gives it to you. And I think if you answered yes to any of those questions, or maybe, it's, I think it's possible that you relate with God through law. And that belief can be really deep and it can put its roots into all kinds of places in your heart and your soul. And it takes some time to unroot that, to recognize that, to name that and say, huh, that's not what the Bible's about. And I need to kind of work that out with me. So here's what I'd like to do. If I could just ask everyone to stand, I'm not gonna make you do anything weird, don't worry. And if you want to, 
You don't have to. I'm not going to make anyone in this room do anything. If you want to, maybe just put your hands out like this. And again, if you're like, I don't want to do that, then don't do it. But just put your hands out like this. Nothing magical has happened by us doing this. Sometimes when we put our body into a position, kind of like kneeling before God, like sometimes I don't want to kneel before God, but I do because it's just a, it's like a posture of humility. And maybe this could just be a posture of like letting go, maybe vulnerability, maybe just a posture of like, yeah, there are some things that I need to kind of take out of the strong grip of my hands and I need to trust Jesus with. And just as we're in that spot, I just wanna pray for us. And maybe there's some of us in the room today who've been following Jesus for a long time, but you relate with God through law. And yeah, your relationship with God does feel like a ping pong. And I just wanna pray that God would set you free this morning of that. And maybe there's some of you here today and you're not sure if you believe in Jesus, but you also know and you agree, yeah, this is a broken world and it's exhausting to figure it out. I just want you to know that the Bible is about Jesus doing that for us. I wanna pray that maybe you this morning would put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we wanna be people of the scriptures. We wanna believe what your Bible says. It's so easy for us to believe that our relationship with you is all about a law. If we do the right things, you're good with us. If we don't do them, then you're not good with us. Oh Lord, what a... What a distortion of your word. And your word is holy. And your word is truth. So God, I pray if there's anyone in here today who follows you, loves you, and yet their walk with you is just weighed down by constant guilt and disappointment because they feel like they're always failing you. I pray you would help them to let go of the law right now. And I pray that you, by your spirit, would minister to them and assure them and affirm to them that you love them so much that you died for them and that you're patient and you're kind. God, I pray you would set them free from the law, help them to trust in you and live in the freedom that Christ brings. God, I pray if there's anyone in the room here who doesn't know you at all, still trying to figure it out. God, in this moment, I, I pray you would make yourself known to them that they can let go of trying to figure out how to find joy or peace or fulfillment in this world and they can trust in you as they were created to. And that they might have a ton of questions and they don't need to have all the answers today. But Lord, I pray you would lead them to put their trust in you. Trust in Jesus. He went to the cross for them. He fulfilled the law for them. 
He is the one that makes us right with you. We love you, God. We're thankful that even from the beginning of time, you have never related with us through a law. That's not how you created relationship to work. Help us to be people who believe that.